Our reading is from James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, found on page 1216 in the Church Bibles. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great, please keep the passage open in front of you, page 1216, and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your great love for us that we have sung about, we have thought about in the service so far. And we thank you that your love includes the fact that you have spoken to us, that you have given us your word. And therefore, we pray that you would help us to be humble before you, humble before your word in a passage which is so challenging. Help us to be ready to listen and to respond uh, to your word. Amen. Well, there is a great danger that the Bible consistently uh, warns us about, like flags in a minefield, uh, that that it warns us of hidden danger. What is this hidden danger that it flags up? Well, you see it in verse 1. James says... Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. James is saying there is a great danger. It is around us. He flags it up for us, puts the flag in the earth to say, here's where the mine is, here's the hidden danger. This is what you've got to be careful of. He says, it is riches. But the issue is not merely having money as such. No, Paul says in 1 Timothy, it is the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evil. It's not just having money, it's the love of money. And we can love money whether we've got money or not. And our problem is it's easy to love money. And James's warning is characteristically blunt. Just because he's blunt doesn't mean that it's not true, but he is quite blunt, isn't he? He says, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming on you. What is this misery coming on the rich? Well, given the language that's being used, it is so close to Old Testament judgment language. uh, It seems this is future judgment. Uh, Judgment that, uh, that when Jesus comes back, In the future, when he returns, there will be judgment day. He will bring justice. And James is saying on that day, these rich 
will, these rich he's addressing will see how foolish it has been to trust in wealth. And to drive the point home, to drive home the seriousness of it, he says it as if the judgment were beginning now. As if the, the things that they trust in have already uh, become uh, ruined, as we shall see. Now, some have argued that James is talking to people uh, who are not in the church that he's writing to. As if he's talking about the rich as the rich out there, not the rich in the church. And they say that because um, he doesn't call them brothers and sisters, which he does continually throughout the letter. When he's addressing the Christians, he calls them brothers and sisters. But also they argue that he doesn't call them to repent. I'm I'm not convinced on that. But therefore some will say, well, he's, he's talking about the rich, but he's talking about the rich out there. But the problem with that is he does say, you rich. Now listen, you rich people. Now, it is still possible that he's talking about those out there, but that would make it sound like he's talking to Christians who are within the church. And Alec Matir, in his book, and we have quoted several times, says the only compelling reason for saying that these verses are not addressed to Christians is if we could say that believers could not possibly act in the way that is described here. But he rightly says, sadly, our experience of Christians must be severely restricted if we don't know earnest, believing Christians who've allowed financial power to turn their heads. So, we are best to come to this scripture, to come to this passage, not assuming it is just speaking about them out there, but to take seriously for ourselves the red flags. And to let this passage examine us. And we might find that these warnings here, these red flags, are actually exposing problems in us. And if we don't, we need to heed the warning anyway. Because none of us should assume that we couldn't love money and behave in this way. So, what are the characteristics of the rich? What does James pick out And you've got the four things on the back of your handout. You can follow them through if you want to. And the first is this, hoarding wealth. Hoarding wealth. Verses 2 and 3, let's read them. It says, Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. So James is saying to these rich people that they have stored away their wealth. James puts them in the place of going to their wealth, their hoarded up goods, and finding that they are useless. So he says their wealth has rotted. Moths have eaten their clothes. They're useless. Gold and silver corroded. Now you might say, if you know about chemistry or that kind of thing. You might say, well, gold and silver don't corrode. But yes, that's James's point, isn't it? They think these things are so secure, so safe. But imagine if going to them, they found that they had nevertheless rusted. Like us going to our bank balance and finding it is zero. He says, their corrosion will testify against you. 
And the accusation at the end of verse 3, they have hoarded wealth in the last days. They've loved money and possessions, kept it, built it up, not used it. And he says, verse 3, they've done this in the last days. What are the last days? Well, the Bible talks about the last days as being between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. Uh, between Jesus' coming when he was born, in the main, born and laid in the manger and, uh, 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 and lived on earth, between that and him, his return in the future judgment day, these are the last days. Why the last days? Because the next thing to come is judgment day, is Jesus' return. We sang about that in our first song about Jesus' return. We say, yeah, that is going to happen. Jesus is going to come back. And therefore, we're in the last days. And so James says, what's the point of hoarding money, of hoarding wealth, of hoarding goods when you're in the last days? Being in the last days should change your perspective on everything. I was re-watching the film uh, Don't Look Up. And if you've seen that film, uh, interesting film, Uh, obviously fictional, uh, when some astronomers discover a comet heading for a collision course with Earth. And it's a huge comet, a planet killer, uh, uh, they call it. And they calculate it'll hit Earth in six months and 14 days. And then they have huge problems persuading everyone that this is real and it's going to happen. Obviously, fictional, you know, children, don't worry. Um, But they have huge problems, and there's a point where the scientists go to Washington to meet with the president, and they have phone calls home. Uh, And the phone calls home are just about everyday things. And it just seems ridiculous. You know, the wife of one of them talking about the exam results of their child, and you go, uh, and the other one phoning home and just talking about their, you know, boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, and and you just think, this is ridiculous. I mean, who cares what their exam results are? Given that, the world's going to end in six months. Who cares? Well, so too with hoarding up wealth in the last days. What's the point? Now, of course, the Bible doesn't encourage us to be reckless with money or to be unwise. It's not wrong to save for the future. After all, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. But we ought to ask when wise saving for the future becomes just hoarding. And you might come back and say, well, okay, give me figures. How much of my money should I save and how much should I give? And uh, how, you know, give me a figure. But the Bible doesn't do that. It doesn't give us a figure. So maybe it's better to ask the question, if someone were to look at your finances or my finances... Would they conclude that here is someone who believes that Judgment Day will come? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us to live assuming Jesus will definitely come back today. No, it is the work of cults to predict exactly when they think Jesus is coming back. But we're to live our lives ready in case it is today. It might be today, it might be in a thousand years. But do our finances reflect a belief that Judgment Day will come, that we're in the last days? And that hoarding up wealth is pointless in such times. We're better using it for good purposes. We're better using it for gospel purposes. 
Not that it's wrong to give to other charities, but ultimately it's the spread of the gospel that's going to be, that is most effective in helping people with judgment day coming. Now that's a huge challenge for us, isn't it? I think that's a huge challenge. Hoarding wealth. Second, withholding payment. That's what they're doing. Verse 4. Look, James says, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Okay, so the situation there is pretty clear, isn't it? These wealthy people have hired labourers to mow their fields uh, and then they don't pay them. And James uh, is picking up, there's an Old Testament law that relates to this as well. I think I put it on the PowerPoint, there we go. Uh, Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 24 says, Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset, because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise they may cry to the Lord against you, and you'll be guilty of sin. Well, clearly the context there, these people needed their wages paying every day. Uh, They needed it to live on. And uh, yet uh, the temptation for those who are rich is to withhold those those wages. And in in the church, James is talking to, he's saying there are Christians, there are people who are calling themselves Christians, who are withholding pay from workers. And so there are two things crying out, aren't there, in those verses? The money cries out. The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your field are crying out against you. That's like the money in the bank account, the money in the bags is sort of crying out to the Lord saying, we should be being you know, given to those who've earned us. It's like he's crying out against those people who are withholding the payment. But also the, the, wage, the people who should be paid are crying out. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Is the assumption of the wealthy can be that no one can stop them, no one can hold, hold them to account, and so they can do what they like. But James is saying, the cries have come to the Lord. He knows. He will bring them to account. Now, I think we can pull out a, a, an application there for us, can't we? Uh, that we should pay what we owe when we owe it. So who might that be? Well, What about people who do work for you, people that you pay? Maybe you have employees at work or or you maybe even have a a cleaner, window cleaner, gardener, someone who mows your field, if you've got a field. Well, we should pay them promptly, shouldn't we? I've been convicted on that, that we should pay what we owe, when we owe it, straight away, not forgetting or, you know, just putting it off. It's easy to do that, isn't it? Window cleaner comes does your windows, maybe leaves a slip through the door and you forget and you don't pay it straight away. Well, I'm not saying that by doing that we're automatically as, uh, exactly like these rich people, but yet we ought to take the lesson from this, oughtn't we, and to pay what we owe when we owe it. And so do you owe someone something? Well, we should pay it, shouldn't we? Well, these rich, James is saying, are deliberately withholding payment. Third, Living in luxury. Verse 5. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself on the day of slaughter. Now the word for luxury there is that of extravagant comfort. Pampering oneself. 
the very finest of foods, the, the expensive furniture, the clothes of expensive brands, uh, the self-indulgence he talks about there goes beyond pleasure to vice, is what one commentary says. And the image he uses in the verse at the end of the verse is a vivid one, isn't it? Fattening yourself on the day of slaughter. He said, you're like farm animals, wondering why they're being given such good food. Loving the food they're given. It's so good. Thinking that this is the life. When they're getting fatter and fatter for the day of slaughter. And that's stark, isn't it? And we need to ask ourselves whether that's how we're using the money the Lord has given to us. And maybe this point particularly bites for us. Because many here, though not all, can afford what most of the world would call luxuries. Now we do need to be careful here, again, that we don't jump to the wrong conclusion. Is it always wrong to buy nice things? No. Don't forget, 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 18, Paul says this, it's up on the screen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So Paul there is clearly not saying, well, you know, you should never have anything nice, you shouldn't have uh, any money, you should just give it all away. No, he's not saying that, and he's not saying that to the rich. He is saying that actually the way that they should treat things is to recognise that God gives us all good things for our enjoyment. So it's not wrong to enjoy the things that you buy, and to buy some nice things, therefore. No, there isn't a blanket rule against buying nice things. Uh, So we can't decide, well, you know, that person's fallen foul of this, or that person, or I I spotted them buying their food in Waitrose, or Marks and Spencers. No, you can't just point the finger and say, well, I saw them buy this there, or that there, or they've got these clothes, or that, and therefore they're falling foul of this. No, we aren't to point the finger to others on that, are we? But, as soon as I've said that, the danger for us is that we get ourselves off the hook, don't we? That actually this verse shines a light on us, and our danger is that we go, oh, well, yeah, but it doesn't really mean that, does it? And therefore we come out from under that light, and we might go home feeling good about ourselves. When actually, James has said to us, don't do that. He said right in chapter 1, didn't he, about that when you read the word of God, you shouldn't be like someone who looks in the mirror and then goes away and forgets what they look like. No, these verses do confront us, don't they? They make us look in the mirror of God's word and say, is this us? Are we actually living in luxury and self-indulgence? Well, we asked earlier, if someone looked at your bank account, whether they would conclude that you believed in Judgment Day... We could just as well ask, if someone looked at your standard of living, would they conclude that you believed in Judgment Day? Or would they say we're living in luxury and self-indulgence? I think this is incredibly challenging, isn't it? I find it really challenging. Living in luxury self-indulgence that's the third thing that they're doing 
And fourth, condemning the innocent. Last verse of of the passage that was read, verse 6. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. When money takes hold on our hearts, we can be willing to trample others. And sometimes that has in the past in other, uh, involved people uh, committing injustices and even killing. And around the world we see exactly what James is talking about. Those who've got rich at the expense of others and even at the cost of others' lives. And the warning is clear that love of money can lead people to do horrific things, can't it? It can even cause people to turn against their own family. Maybe not killing, but nevertheless in devastating ways. You might say, well, it's not exactly this, but uh, I think you can see it. Uh, Sometimes uh, I've heard, uh, I have heard an elderly person once say that their children can't wait for them to die so that they can have their inheritance. It's awful, isn't it? Actually, that that person has become in their family's eyes just a means of getting money. And I'm sure they aren't the only people who's done that, who have at some point viewed elderly relatives mainly as a means of getting their wealth. We need to be wary that love of money can lead people to do self-centered things. That's the warning, that's the red flag here. We go, could that be us? It could, couldn't it? It could be us. We're fooling ourselves if we think it couldn't. But there's one further point from that last verse. It's interesting the way that James words it, isn't it? Let me read it again. He says, You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Who does that remind you of? Well, the answer is Jesus. That's who it should remind us of. The innocent one who was condemned and murdered and who did not oppose or resist it. He was betrayed by Judas for money, for 30 pieces of silver, wasn't he? So if we love money and indulge in luxury in this life at the expense of others, we kind of line ourselves up behind Judas. It's not a good team to be on, is it? But what about Jesus? Just dwell a moment on Jesus. The righteous one. Paul tells us he gave up wealth, gave up the glory of heaven. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. I think again it comes up on the screen. There you go. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now notice, would you, first that uh, first and foremost that Jesus did not come merely to be an example for us. He didn't give up riches and then say to us, now you do the same, in a kind of you do what I do kind of way. First and foremost, he did it for us. He became poor and was condemned and murdered and did not resist. And he did so, so that we might become rich. Here's the wonder of the gospel. James says, if, you, if you've recognised yourself in what he's just said here, 
He says, weep and mourn. Now, I think that might be a call to repentance, to weep and mourn. Come before God with tears, with humility. Give up on riches as your idol. Come to Jesus. Ask for forgiveness. And when we do, Jesus, through his coming to the cross and giving up everything, gives us real, eternal riches. Such that you can look at any of the wealthy of the world with their luxury and you can say, I have wealth you know nothing about. A wealth that cannot rust and get eaten by moths. And that's what frees us up to be generous. Knowing Jesus' free grace gives us generous hearts too. So, of course, don't side with the rich of this world and don't envy them. After all, judgment day will come. We live in the last days. But those with Christ have an eternal wealth. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, your word uh, confronts us at times. And Father, these verses have confronted us. Help us, Father, not to go away from here and just forget about what we have read, but to apply it, to ask how we need to change. Help us, Father, to be wary, to be warned of the danger of riches and of loving money. And help us to come before you humbly for the forgiveness for the eternal life that you give and to rejoice that we can have those riches, riches far greater than anything this world can give and we can have them purely through your grace and your mercy when Jesus came to die for us. And therefore, Father, with hearts changed by that gospel of grace, help us to be those who are generous. Amen.